Welcome to The Partial Historians. We explore all the details of ancient Rome. Everything from the political scandals, the love affairs, the battles waged, and when citizens turn against each other. I'm Dr. Rad. And I'm Dr. G. We consider Rome as the Romans saw it, by reading different authors from the ancient past and comparing their stories. Join us as we trace the journey of Rome from the founding of the city. Welcome to a brand new episode of The Partial Historians. I am one of your hosts, Dr. Ed. And I am Dr. G. And we are super excited to be here today because we're about to talk about 440 BCE. I know. The mm. speed of our progress is insane. <laughs> I'm getting giddy. <laughs> From the foundations, and we're about what three hundred something years in. We're doing pretty good. I think so. I mean, lightning. Does fast. this look like three hundred years have passed? It does not. You look incredible. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, in the course of the history of Rome, Doctor G, mm-hmm. let's do a brief recap of where we were up to last episode. So, ah, yes. Yeah, four forty one was actually quite a. Yeah. Look, I don't remember much about it. <laughs> Um, there was, Ardea was involved and... We had just cleaned up the whole mess in Ardea. There was a yes. bit of a mess there. Yeah. And then I feel like I ran out of sources. No, so well, that's just it. I really they didn't really, have a lot to say. <laughs> there really wasn't much to say about 441. It was fairly... It was, it was a pretty minimal peaceful. year. Yeah, exactly. Um, after the drama that had happened with the border dispute in Ardea and that whole weird civil war that apparently broke out there over a hot plebeian girl. Wow. I know. <laughs> anyway, so yes, yeah, so it was good to have some peace and quiet. You know, your life can't be keeping up with the Kardashians 24-7. It can't. Sometimes no. you've got to go home. Yeah. So that's really all I have to say about 441. So I think it's time to pause as we transition into 440 BC. Yes. Yeah. Oh boy, do I have some news for you. We've got consoles this year. Mm, yes, because you might recall that it has been mooted that maybe we don't have consuls, that maybe we have military tribunes with consular authority, because then plebeians can technically hold the office without dirtying it up too much. Technically. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We haven't seen much action from that, <laughs> from that side of things. It's mostly been consuls. The gist that we're getting that's coming through from the source material is this is a time of uh, uncertainty. Mm. There's a volatility in the politics. Yeah. So how that's exactly playing out, we're not really sure. And for me in particular, reading Dionysius of Halicarnassus is a bit of an issue because this is precisely the point where he starts to go missing. And I've only got some fragments to deal with. Makes me very sad. But we do have two consuls. (laughs) The first of which, I'll Mm. test these names against you. We've got Proculus Gaganius, Mm -hmm. son of we don't know who, grandson of we don't know who, Macerinus. Check. A patrician. Mm. And Titus Menenius Agrippa. Oh no, Titus Menenius, son of Agrippa, Mm. grandson of Agrippa, Lanatas. Or it might be Lucius Menenius. We're not sure about the... Lucius is the version that Livy goes with, which means it must be the correct one. Oh, (laughs) honestly. But yes, apart from that, totally agree with you. 
And I also have a record of somebody called the Adal of the Plebs. Ooh. This role doesn't come up very often, or at least it's not spoken about very often in this early period. Well, that's because we're not entirely sure it does exist at this point in time. <laughs> <laughs> but be on the lookout for somebody called Manius Martius. Yes, I also have that name. And let me tell you, Dr. G, if 441 was almost boringly peaceful, 440 is going to turn all of that around. Drama. Bring on the drama. I will bring on the drama. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a Prefectus Anone. Mm. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Apparently. I don't know. This is what Broughton tells me. Mm. And this might go on for a couple of years. Hold that thought. Uh, <laughs> Lucius Minucius Esquilinus or Gerinus. Now, that's a name I do recall. He used to be the Consul Suffolk of 458. Which is why I remember it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that year stands out. Mm, yeah. Like a shining diamond. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so I can tell you right now that you have to be prepared for a year of many people dying, oh. lots of danger, sedition, famine, and the threat of a king. Oh. Yeah. I think you and I are talking about different years. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, basically the only bad thing that didn't happen in this year, according to Livy, was a foreign war. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So as far as I can tell from the sort of the fragmentary sources that I've read, yeah. the events of 440 and the events of 439 mm-hmm. are probably going to mesh together in perhaps a... a a way that we can't disentangle. Bite your tongue. I'm coming with an analytic source here. <laughs> Mine's missing, and everything that I know about the things you're ta- saying right now come in the next year. No, look, I think we've, we've spoken before about the fact that it seems as though our sources often like to characterise years in certain ways, which means that sometimes they might be, you know, tidying things up a bit because they're like, wouldn't it be just neater? If everything happened in 440, rather than, you know, trickling into January and February of the next year. And we've also got that issue with, like, how do we date things precisely anyway? Like, we know that the FASTI records that these analyst historians are going to much later are fragmentary themselves. Mm. At least they are for us. And we think that they might have been for them as well, because we do get these discrepancies that emerge along the way. Yeah. So are you prepared to delve into this year with me? I'm ready. I'm really keen to hear what you've got to tell me. Okay. So if a foreign war had been added to the disasters that happened in this year, Livy thinks that it would have been a complete disaster for the Romans, even if the gods had been on their sides. But it's telling you something. Even if the gods are rooting for you and on your side, and yet somehow you still fail, it must be pretty bad. But that's. But he says that's not what happened. No, it isn't. I'm just trying to paint a picture of how terrible it is. <gasps> okay. Now, it all begins with a terrible famine. And can't really be 100% sure why the famine came about in the first place. There are a couple of theories, though. First of all, weather, climate, you know... Those things need to be taken care of, people. Otherwise, food shortages do arise. You could also have a problematic thing that happens with the crop. Some sort of disease moves through it. True. These things are are easier to manage in the modern world with our modern technology. Yeah. Not easy to manage in the ancient world. Um, If a devastating sort of plague rips through the crop right before harvest, 
You got bad times ahead. You do, but I wish you wouldn't embellish Livy this way because he quite clearly said. I'm just speaking about reasonable hypotheses about the It's the world. season. It's the season. <laughs> it's the gods, I tell you. Yeah. Anywho, so could just be a weather thing that just didn't help the crops grow and there's a you know an abundance that was needed. However, it could also be that people were neglecting their farming duties. Oh, yep. oh, okay. This is a patrician read, putting yep. it back onto the plebeians yep. for not doing their job properly. <laughs> They've been hanging out in assemblies. Ooh, yeah, and political. They found city life far too attractive. Not enough time on the farm, Dr. G. I thought I'd uh, brush off my socks and become a military tribune with uh, <laughs> consular power. Dear Lucretia, <laughs> I have been now for several weeks in the capital of our great nation, and I cannot put into words how truly magnificent Rome really is. I've decided to go into politics. (laughs) Yeah, so of course the patricians are indeed upset with this situation because Mm. it's plebeian laziness Mm. that has brought this all around. However, the plebeians aren't just going to take this kind of criticism lying down. The tribune of the plebs comes in and accuses the consuls of dishonesty and carelessness. Huh. Yeah, so... Counter accusation. <laughs> Once again. You guys have been sleeping on the top job. Yeah. Either way, I think it's safe to say that both groups are pointing the finger at the other as to why this whole situation. And nobody is harvesting the grain. Yeah. Once again, crops are being ignored while people argue. But the Tribune of the Plebs did eventually manage to get one Lucius Manucius appointed as prefect of the corn supply. And the Senate aren't against this because, hey, everybody's going to eat, no, no matter what your status is. I think it's a sign of the times that something has gone terribly wrong, that they need a prefect just to look after the grain supply. There's issues here. And they're like, we need a tailored solution and we need somebody in charge of coming up with that solution. Yeah. So I hereby dub Lucius Minucius the Nacho King of Venture <laughs> <laughs> Now, as it turns out, he actually wasn't fantastic at his job. I was going to say, he does practically nothing. Well, okay, in terms of getting food, sure, but he does contribute something else, which is more important, Dr. G. He safeguards liberty? Yeah, I'm going to get to that in a second. (laughs) Now, just a little note here. Way back in the early Republic, in around sort of 490, 489, this guy's relatives were also consul when there was a famine. Oh, that's an unfortunate family tradition. Yeah. So I'm just going to throw it out there that there is actually a bit of a family connection here. Wow. Yeah. Are they all bad with grain? Well, no, I think they actually They solved the famine. Yeah, I think they actually did a reasonable job. And this might explain why they've chosen Manukius then. Potentially. And he's also had, you know, his relatives have been fairly well-known, you know, they've established themselves. I mean, not always in great ways. One of them had to be bailed out by Coriolanus, but... Oops. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Doesn't matter. So Manukius, of course, does the logical thing in that he starts sending out bat signals. You know, help! We're in trouble. Come to our aid. <laughs> Shaped like sheaves of wheat. That's right. Ceres, aid us. <laughs> across land and across the seas, he asks for aid. He manages to get a little bit of corn from Etruria, but a little bit isn't going to solve a crisis on this scale. 
Asterisk, when we talk about corn, we're not talking about maize at this point in time. No, no. Um, We're talking about all sorts of ancient grains, and they're all sort of classified under this idea of corn in the Roman mind. Yeah, Nacho King is very misleading, I apologise, but I just like it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so Manukis decides, well, this isn't working, so I'm going to take a number of other steps. First of all, I'm going to force all Romans to declare... Well, Roman men, goes without saying... Roman men to declare how much corn that they had. <laughs> Tell me how much grain you got in there, buddy. Yeah. What are you packing? <laughs> shake it, shake it, shake it. It sounds like there's more grain. What's in that storage over there? Oh, oh really? Your spare tokers? I don't think so. <laughs> don't look in the barrel. <laughs> That's right. um, and they had to sell whatever they had in storage that was over a month's supply. So they were able to keep a month of what they had, but everything else... Had wow. to be sold. Okay, yeah. so we're into the rationing phase. Yeah, with I mean, the local supply. Isn't that bad famine? I don't know if I mentioned that. <laughs> it's getting worse. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, this part I don't like so much, but probably predictable. He also orders that a portion of corn be taken from slaves, so part of their daily ration is taken away. Right. Yeah. He also started charging dealers. There's grain dealers. Yes, there is. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy, buddy, what do you want? What do you want? I got some, I got some. Well, the thing is, it it seems that people might obviously have been, I don't know, trying to benefit from this whole situation. Oh. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Romans? Yeah. Trying to outdo other Romans? Not even necessarily Romans. I mean, who knows who these dealers are? But yeah, it seems like people were potentially, uh, I suppose, profiteering mm. might be the right word for it. Sounds like. People are really angry at about you know, this whole situation. So that's a good thing. However, none of these things really help with the incredible crisis that is the famine. Like, obviously, you know, small dent, but it's not really doing what needs to be done here. Mm. So it makes some plebeians so scared about what lies ahead in the future that apparently some are literally throwing themselves into the Tiber and committing suicide. Wow. Yeah. It's a bad famine. Yeah, I don't know if okay. That. <laughs> <laughs> it's just because my source material is so different from yours at this point that I'm like, this is not even something I've encountered yet. I'm hearing this for the first time. Well, that, that is tragic. There you go. So then steps into the void, an equestrian man. Now, I should say right now that... Da, 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 da. Yeah, this, horse. Yeah, this is early Rome. So this isn't the kind of later version... Rome equestrian where you you know qualify with like a certain amount of money as being part of the equestrian class this is when you actually do probably have a horse yeah you're able to equip as a cavalryman yes in times of war yeah exactly you're quite substantially wealthy sure but yeah it's not like it's not like the Augustan version of an equestrian no. yeah except just mentioning that um, and this guy's name is Spurius Malius now, he is a wealthy man, as you have highlighted, okay? Oh, I'm going to have to jump in soon, because you're definitely straying into what is 439 for me. <laughs> well, I never. Okay, well, hear me out. Okay, because Malius decides that he's going to use his money to do something useful. However, <laughs> Livy highlights here that this set a terrible precedent for Rome, and that this guy had awful motives for doing so. Oh boy. Again, shocking, I know, that a Roman would be out for himself. So, Malius decides to use his personal fortune to purchase corn from the Etrurians. And he's able to do this because he has, apparently, quite an extensive network of friends and clients. Mm. So, whilst this is obviously 
different to what we saw with the Fabians. This is another one of those incidents that really highlights for us how much there is this network of patronage that works throughout this society. And it means that you do actually have private families that have enough wealth sometimes to step in and do things for the state on this scale. Yeah, and I think this tells you, I mean, this is the seeds of aristoc- uh, like aristocracy in its most essential form. Yeah. It? And it's like, and you can see it in this early period of Rome, and we know that these people are all connected. And yeah. it's like the Romans do try to define themselves as different and separate, and we're like, we're a special people. But they're definitely taking in from the Latins. They're definitely taking in from the Etruscans. All of those surrounding peoples are peoples that they're connected with. They're either related to them, hmm. or they're good for business ties. And... This kind of thing yeah. really hits home when it's a famine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and this one guy's like, well, I've got enough money to do what the state cannot do, yep. which is to buy up a grain supply. For and us. the connections. And the connections. Of course, this may have, you know, hi, made the problem worse because he's buying up the supply. However, what he does then is that he hands it out for free. Whoa! I know. I know. Now, I am getting close to 439, so just you hold it right there, Missy. Yeah. <laughs> so, this, of course, makes him insanely popular with the plebs. I can only imagine, because they're starving. <laughs> yeah. So, they're literally following him around like puppies and being like, hey, Malleus, toss me another bit of that corn and I'll show you a good time. I'd love to buy your bread. <laughs> Bake it in my oven. Ooh. This is getting gross. <laughs> So this makes him feel very important, and he starts to dream a little dream, Dr. G. Uh-oh. Yeah. Now, as someone who's an equestrian, as in wealthy enough to have a horse and all, that's well and good. <laughs> as well as to buy the grain. Yeah. yeah. That's well and good. But aiming for the consulship? I don't think so. Yes. No, <laughs> an equestrian is not technically of the patriciate class no. as far as anybody so this might be a retrojection as well so it this is be. this it is the be. other thing we're yeah. not really sure what makes into question a question in this early period no. and it seems like anybody's best guess would be that there is a sort of blurring between equestrians and patricians because sure. patricians are this sort of elite class anyway and it would make sense that they were also the wealthy enough to buy and look after their own horses yeah so it makes sense that there's some sort of connection there and yet by the time we get to our writers like Livy and Dionysius of Halicarnassus in the first century BCE there's a real distinction and yes. the equestrians are not part of that upper echelon of the elite yeah, so this, this, this could might be, be a retrojection of yes, that. It yeah, might it be. could be. But it could also be that he actually isn't a patrician. Maybe yeah, a little upstart yeah, with a lot exactly. of cash. But of course, why stop a consul? Mm. Why not aim to be king of Rome? Grain can buy you anything. So he starts this to... This is a man who doesn't know his history. He starts to plan. He starts to plan. He thinks, you know what? I could do this. I could pull this off. It is time, Dr. G, for an evil plan. (laughs) However, when the elections for the consulship for the next year roll around, his plan isn't quite ready yet. Oh. Yeah. So he's not ready to, like, launch into action right at that opportune moment. Mm. And the people that he's kind of singled out as being necessary to his plan or you know potentially useful 
not necessarily interested in Hindi. <laughs> oh, wow. Who, did, who knew? <laughs> yeah. And that is the end of 440 to me. It's a real cliffhanger. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Because, like, 440 is a real dud for my source material. First of all, Dionysus or Halicarnassus is just missing. There's nothing. Mm. And we have... I had to end up going to Pliny's Natural History, book 18, sections 3 to 4, right. uh, to have a look into what's going on with this Manius Marcius, who hasn't featured at all in your story, really. So, because he comes up in this year for me, but then drops off the radar for next year. He's okay. gone by 439. But apparently he's this Adal of the Plebs, mm-hmm. and he's most famous for what is known as the one modius grain distribution. Mm. So we don't have a sense, or at least not in the source material I was able to consult, we don't have a sense that there is a famine yet, but there's definitely some sort of issue with the grain supply because he's selling grain at bargain basement prices Mm. as the Adal. And this one modius is considered to be like the cheapest price you could possibly sell it for, really. Right. Any cheaper, and it was like you might as well just be giving it away for free. But so we've got this um, little section in Pliny where he's talking about um, the size of land. So, and I think this is just a nice sort of discursus anyway, so I'm gonna do it. Sure. But he talks about what is known as Ugurum. So you're like, What's a ugurum? It's a size. It's a size of a piece of land. Mm. And you're like, well, how would we measure a ugurum? Yeah, like, great question. <laughs> First of all, you have to yoke your oxen. Step one. Yes. Then you have to, in one day, see as much as you can plow. So with that oxen, you can usually go up to a certain point until the middle of the day. Yeah. And then you turn them around, and next to it, you do another set down for the rest of the day. Gotcha. Yeah. And that double stretch. You're doing is- oxen laps. Oxen laps, essentially. Yeah. That, yeah, whatever you can do in one day with the oxen, and usually you can't make the oxen speed up, so it's considered to be relatively useful, is the ugurgum that you'll get granted as your piece of land huh, for okay. then growing your grain. Right. So you can do that, and everybody in the population is welcome where possible. That's kind of like the minimum you give people to be able to self-sustain. Right, okay. So everyone's on the lookout for their ugurgum. Ugurgum. <laughs> I really don't like the word, sure. <laughs> But this has, you know, this connection to agriculture and all of these sorts of other things. And thinking about, then Pliny gets into, like, the names that come out of agriculture that are connected to names of families. Mm -hmm. So, Kikoro being the famous, the chickpea. Ah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But there are are others as well. The Junii. So, the Junii receive also the name Bubileus, ah. uh, which comes from breeding oxen and being skilled at it, apparently. Okay. Yeah, so there's all these kind of, like, little details that Pliny goes into. Pliny's a great source for, like, these kinds of things where you're like, what is daily life really like? Let's find out. <laughs> and then he talks about this cheap grain situation, which right. is really unusual. And Manius Marcius gets a mention there. Okay. And then my only other source for mm. 440 is our old friend Diodorus Siculus. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Mr. Reliable. <laughs> uh, he's having a great time. Mm-hmm. He gets the names of the consuls right in this instance. So this is Book 12, Section 36. Mm-hmm. Gets the names of the consuls right. And he also talks about that during this year, Spartacus, the king of the Bosporus, died after a reign of seven years. I like the name. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might. So I did a little bit more thinking about that. And I was like, oh, we've got a really early Spartacus figure. Well, it is It is actually a regal name in some cultures. Yeah. yeah. 
And he, this Spartacus is thought to be a tyrant, actually, who um. overthrows um, the ruling dynastic line. Thank God he was forgotten about before the other one came along. <laughs> in the Bosporus. But he starts what is known as the Spartacid dynasty, which lasts for quite a few generations. Yeah, yeah. Look, there have definitely been people who have theorised that Spartacus, the famous gladiator, may have had some connection to mm. royalty. Yeah, some sort of royal line. Yeah. Or it could just be that the name was famous, he wasn't actually from Thrace at all, and they just threw it at him because they were <laughs> trying to craft him into a Thracian crowd pleaser. Yeah, and this is the thing, because the speculation in the source is that Spartacus was Thracian, this Bosporus king. Yeah. But there's also further scholarship seems to suggest that we might be talking about somebody who's greco Scythian. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is not that far away from Thrace geographically. No, isn't like, isn't... Like, if you think about, you've got mainland Greece there, and yeah. as you move around, you've got Thrace up here. Yeah. And Greco-Scythia is kind of wedged in the... Wait, isn't, isn't Scythia, like, one of the places where supposedly it's kind the of inspiration like, for the Amazons might Yeah, it's like from? this mythical sort of out there sort of thing. Yeah. But it's connected to Greece on some level. Level, yeah. yeah. Mm. So, that's... 440 BCE. Ah, look, I appreciate the extra detail. All right, so moving into 439, Dr. G. Oh, yeah. We do, of course, have some new consuls, Mm -hmm. although not as new as you might imagine, because one of them is, in my account, Titus Quintius Capitolinus, who is consul for the sixth time. Oh, yeah, he was consul in 471, 468, 465, 446, 443, and now 439. Yeah, very popular man. Must be getting a bit grey, though. With everybody. Yes, I think he definitely is. I mean, when we think about his peak, that was like 20 years ago now, you know, back in 468. (laughs) So, yeah, I think he is probably moving on a little bit, but he is experienced. There's no denying that. (laughs) Yeah. And we also have Agrippa Menenius. Yep. Son of Titus grandson of Agrippa Lanitas, so it appears to be a relation, a direct relation to the previous Titus Meninius Agrippa. So his son, potentially. And the Menenii. Uh, or his brother. <laughs> yeah. The Menenii uh, go way back to the early Republic, lest we forget the most famous Menenius who gave that whole story about how the Plebeians had to come back after the first secession because... Otherwise, you know, the state as a body couldn't function. Oh, yeah. 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 That was the, him. That was him. Are the plebs the stomach in that one? Uh, <laughs> the plebs, I think, Somebody's were, the stomach. <laughs> the plebs were many things, but I think that the patricians were the ones that were like, feed me. <laughs> but, you, but you need that to, to spread the nutrients to the arms, the legs, all yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, that was him. So, <laughs> I, just to give us a heads up on where we're at with... Um, Spurius Malius. Yes. So this is the year, according to to my source material, where oh, he starts in. to come into his prominence. Mm-hmm. And apparently, what has happened to him is that his father has died, mm-hmm. and he's come into the inheritance, and he's looking around at what to do with it. And he can see that Rome is in a state of trauma in mm-hmm. relation to this famine, and he's right. like, "Okay, it's time for me to step up to the plate." Mm-hmm. So he does go and get a shipment of grain from Aturia. Right. But it's not the only shipment that he buys. Okay. So he actually ends up buying three shipments in. So he heads down to Naples, where modern Naples is. You're like, Naples? Naples doesn't exist. Well, no, it's not that. I just mean in the sense of, it's so not that far away. 
How are they not already got green from this place? <laughs> that I don't know. Yeah. This makes me think that the prefect of the grain supply is an absolute rubbish candidate for the job because he's literally sourced no grain yeah. according to our source material. And yet this guy, Spurious Malius, is yeah. able to get up and go out and he manages to bring in three separate supplies. He brings in some from Sicily. He goes out to Kume and mm. Mycenaeum, so down in the Bay of Naples, brings back stuff from there and, mm. and from Etruria. So he's gone north and he's gone south and he's gone a little bit south again. And he's actually drawn in all of this extra grain. I hear what you're saying. However, my question is, and I actually don't know the answer to this, it's just something that's occurred to me. Is the problem that the prefect of the corn supply doesn't have the funds? Is it kind of like our modern day? <laughs> I'm just the bureaucracy. I mean, I ask them for the money and they just never give it to well, me. Yeah. I, I, I mean, have to wait for the paperwork to go through. <laughs> these days, we are constantly hearing cases where businesses are stepping in because they have more money, more cash flow than most governments in the world. And they can streamline their decision making and they don't yeah. have to jump through a whole bunch of legal hoops. No, and it's not a democracy. So, mm, yeah, I mean... maybe. Is that what's going on here? Not that this is, not that I'm in any way suggesting that Rome is a democracy, <laughs> but I'm just wondering if maybe the prefect the... of the corn supply means you don't actually have unlimited funds to secure. Yeah, corn. and maybe he's asking around, but maybe he doesn't have the monetary capacity to make yeah. the purchase stick. Exactly. Mm. Well, I still have Lucius Minucius listed as the prefect of corn supply for this year as well. Livy actually specifically notes that he's not sure whether he was reappointed or whether he'd just been elected for some sort of indefinite period until the problem was solved because his sources are in conflict. However, Minucius is named in the linen rolls as a magistrate for 440 and 439, hence why Livy is sort of bringing all this up. And the linen rolls preserved a chronological list of magistrates. So it indicates that Livy's sources, I would say, rather than Livy himself, have gone and consulted these documents. Yeah, and it sounds like, I mean, it seems reasonable that this is not just a one-year issue. If you're having a famine, this is going to have flow-on consequences because as soon as you've got people hungry and unable to do the hard physical labor that is required yeah. to get the seeds in to do the work of looking after that crop and bringing the next one to harvest yeah or you're going to have problems the next year as well yeah so absolutely. you start to spiral really quite quickly yeah if you've got a situation where your crop gets knocked out one year definitely so what happens in Livy's account is that Manukis is obviously still trying really hard to get some corn and this is why i wonder about the whole funding issue Melius, of course, no problems. He's just doing it. But the catch is that because they are trying to solve the same problem, there are similar men visiting both of their houses and consulting with both of them. As a result, Manukius gradually becomes aware of the fact that Melius might be scheming to do something really terrible. <laughs> and he so, finally cottons on. He finally cottons on. And so... Minucius goes to the Senate and starts telling them about all the signs that Melius is giving off that he is aiming to make himself king. So, <gasps> yeah, there's a, there's a list. So, number one, he's badgering people at no, the house. How dare you? <laughs> yeah. Number two, weapons are being collected and stashed in his house. Ooh. Yeah, I know. Number three, tribunes of the plebs are being bribed. <gasps> I know. That never happens. <laughs> Number four, leaders of the mob 
had been assigned their parts. Now that's a direct quote from the translation that I am drawing from. I gather that means that, you know, he's got some people on his side who represent the populace and he's like, right, when I give you the signal, Robert Redford style, yeah, yeah. you do this. <laughs> this is the sting. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's really badly planned. <laughs> the final thing was, he had not yet set a date for when he was going to, like, roll this all into motion. You know, what well, we said the year before, he wasn't quite ready yet. <laughs> he wasn't launching it. <laughs> yeah. It's coming, guys. It's coming. Yeah. Now, Manukius reassures the Senate that he had held off reporting on these details as long as possible because he wanted to be 100% sure about what he was saying before he reported it. So they can feel pretty certain they have got to feel a sense of confidence that these are not just spurious claims. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, now, when the Senate hears this, they are furious with... They're spurious furious. <laughs> with the consuls of 440 because they had allowed Malleus to start handing corn out for free and they turned the other way when Plebeians started gathering in a private house. I mean, come on. What's more of a tip-off than that? <laughs> it's interesting because there's, I mean, there's obviously quite direct similarities uh, between Livy's account here and Dionysius' account. He does cut back in yeah. um, sometime in 439. It's very exciting for <laughs> excellent, me. Excellent, excellent. And part of what Dionysius is suggesting that happens is that there is a deficiency in Spurius Malleus' character, oh, which definitely. is obviously why he's interested in aiming for tyranny. Definitely. Um, and so he's sort of prompted by a whole bunch of like poor character flaws. Yeah. But what he does, according to Dionysius, is that because he's actually doing something about this grain supply issue and he appears to be solving it, and he's going on to sell the grain that he acquires at discount rates at a loss to himself. Mm. He's definitely bought it for more than he's selling it for. Right. And in some instances, starting to give it away for free to people who really need it. Mm. He's gathered a really loyal bunch of popular support. Yeah. And they're basically like, functional politics will rule in this place. Mm. And they're like, we see you. Prefect of the grain supply, yeah. Manukius, doing nothing, yeah, yeah. not solving the problem. Get out of that magisterial chair. Yeah. You don't belong in it. And Malleus, please sit down. So he starts acting like a magistrate de facto because Manukius can't get back in because they're like, yeah, get out. He's got the whole people being like, you don't know anything about grain. <laughs> you call yourself the Nacho King. I can't He's even... like, no, I don't. Doritos haven't been invented yet. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and they put Malleus on the chair. And so this is a direct violation of everything about the traditional way of Romans yeah. doing things. And this is the people stepping up and being like, well, if he knows how to solve the grain problem, I guess he gets to be the prefect of the grain. Wow. And everyone's like, yes, yes. But Manukius is like, well, I'm in trouble. <laughs> One. It's a problem that I've had my chair taken away from me and now that guy is sitting in it. Yes. But there's no way that this isn't going to turn against me. Yeah. Like, if Malleus is going to keep this up, he's probably going to have to kill me. Mm. I need to have countermeasures in place. Interesting. So he spends a lot of time doing the rounds, having quiet chats to people, because he's like, not everybody who's working for Malleus is, can be loyal. Yeah. Surely not. There's got to be a weak link in this chain. And when he finds that person, yeah. that person gives him becomes an informant, and then he gets the proof he needs to go to the Senate. Nice. 
Mm. I like your version much better. It's like a film noir. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anywho, so back in my version, the Senate are also angry with the new consuls because they had to wait for Manukius to bring this to their attention, whereas, you know, they should have probably done something about it by now. It's interesting how hands-off the consuls have been. Especially Capitolinus. I mean, come on. Yeah, and they haven't been paying attention, or if they have been paying attention... They've decided not to act. Mm. Either well, is problematic. This is okay. This is where Livy gets interesting, and I think we can definitely sense a patrician line of thought coming through because Capitolinus, of course, being the star that he is, he isn't going to take that lying down. And so he says, "Well, whoa, 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 whoa! You can't get angry at us for this whole situation. The laws of appeal are what's holding us back here. That's where you really have to direct the blame." I know, right? Because the laws of appeal were designed to undermine consular power, and they were stopping him from punishing crimes as harshly as they needed to be. Now, given given that I don't think he punished Malleus, like, at all, I don't know how that logic works. I was going to say, one, Malleus hasn't hasn't faced any sort of formal proceedings yet, so he hasn't had a chance to appeal. No, no. And this is going back to something that we talked about for the 449 year that never ended, which is that when the second decemvirate was finally removed from office, there was a restoration of certain parts of the Roman state under Valerius and Horatius, and this law of appeal was one of those. It would seem that the patricians never really got over the fact that that was reintroduced, along with things like, you know, tribunes of the plebs. <laughs> These are things that they could have lived without, even though they were happy to get rid of the second decemvirate. Clearly, however, Dr. G, this is a situation that calls for one man. (laughs) One man not limited by laws. One man who is bold and sexy. One man who happens to be 80 years old at this point. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) One man called Lucius Quintius. In other words, Cincinnatus. Call out the old man. Everyone's thrilled except for Cincinnatus. He's too old for this shit. <laughs> Literally too yeah. old. Yeah, we haven't heard from Cincinnatus in a while, and I don't think anybody in their right mind would be expecting to. No. I'll be I'll level with you. Because he is so old, he is a Senex at this point, in every sense of the word. He has to be at least 80. Uh, yeah, I kind of remember the last time he was dictator in our accounts. <laughs> it was a long time ago. 458. There you I go. Think. There you go. Yeah, let me let me go back and check that detail. No, yeah, that's alright. But yeah, look. While you check that, all men, of course, start saying to him, oh, but Cincinnatus, you're so wise, you're so brave, you're still a silver fox. You still farm and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you just keep going. It's like Methuselah is just in. It's never exactly, ends. Yeah. The consuls are not going to give up. They want him and him alone for this job. So I think this is a really, really fascinating moment in early Roman history. And it's partly because of the way this, the subsequent events go down. And also because of the elements of alternative accounts that Dionysius will bring into this narrative. There are two narratives for Mm. how, what happens next goes down. Okay. Well, should I go with mine and then you Oh yeah, go for it. Go for it. Okay. So... Cincinnatus, of course, always gives in. Hence why the Romans love him. He's always there when they He's grumpy, but he says yes. (laughs) He's like Luke from the Gilmore Girls, you know. He's grumpy, but he's there. (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, so he's praying that the gods are not going to let an old man falter when Rome is in such danger, but he accepts the position. And he chooses one Gaius Servilius Ahala. Aha! Ah. <laughs> Aha, there you are. Um, as master of his horse. Okay, now, obviously, as we talked about before, dictator, there's usually like a military element to this. And hence why you would choose a master of the horse, someone who would be in charge of your cavalry, also be like a lieutenant or a deputy to the dictator. So it makes sense that that's why they have this sort of arrangement. In this particular context, at the moment, obviously, he's trying to solve political issues, but ones that are threatening enough, it might lead to military events. Well, you you can think of the dictatorship and the master, like the dictator and the master of the horse as being two sides of the power coin if you like it's now streamlining everything into a hierarchy where you've got judicial power at the top which is the dictator and you've got directly below him his capacity to command military power for the execution exactly of whatever needs to be done yes it's about getting the job done in the fastest way possible yep Swift and easy, no discussion. Yes, and that's what he's been known for in the past, and sure enough, he does it again. So, in my account, Cincinnatus starts stationing guards along the route to the forum. And that, of course, sets the plebs off thinking, what's going on? No, wait a minute. There aren't normally guards around here. What's going on? (laughs) Now, Malleus's crew and Malleus sense that maybe this might have something to do with what they've been up to recently. No. Yeah. Some people, of course, had no idea that there was a conspiracy afoot, so they're genuinely confused. So they're like, is there a war happening that I haven't heard? Is Cincinnati being called in because of some foreign invader? Where's the Nacho King? Yeah. I mean, yes. (laughs) And they're like, particularly Cincinnati. I mean, he's seriously old, man. What's going on? So there's some very confused little rumors. Who's that dude in the wheelchair? Yeah. Don't ask questions. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, now, Ahala is sent off by Cincinnatus to go and fetch Malleus. Of course, the root of the problem. Malleus is terrified, naturally, and asks, why am I being summoned? Plainly innocent card, gotta love it. <laughs> and Ahala tells him, well, you're going to be put on trial. You've been accused by Venutius of, you know, conspiring to be king. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Malleus tries to retreat from this whole situation, tries to use his, you know, entourage around him to, like, shield himself, and he's playing dumb. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never even heard of the word Rex. <laughs> what do you mean? Okay, but they're intent on dragging him away, even if it means that they have to use force. So, this is exactly this what is happens. It. Yeah, this yeah. is exactly what the master of the horse is for. Yeah, exactly. Now, Malleus, naturally uses his last card, which is he screams out to the plebs for protection. Now, you might recall, because of all the free grain... They're very predisposed towards him. They very much like him, and so they're a bit like, okay, what's going on? Now, Ahala knows that this could potentially, therefore, escalate really quickly into something highly unpleasant and unnecessary. So he kills him on the spot. Huh. Yeah. Who needs a trap? <laughs> <laughs> Quick and easy. Yeah. Done and dusted. Yeah. No questions asked. Yep. <laughs> so Ahala is now covered in blood because he's just killed man. Oh, he did it himself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> A real man takes matters into his own hands. Oh, boy. Yeah. So he's covered in blood and his group around him are, of course, none other than the young patricians. Who else would be sent to carry out such a job? So he goes back to Cincinnatus with these people and himself looking the way that he does and explains how Melius had 
resisted arrest and then, you know, causing an issue and therefore you killed him. You know, stabby stab. Yeah, exactly. Cincinnatus doesn't say, well, that's not the proper procedure. In my account, he says, well done, Gaius Silvius. You have delivered the Commonwealth. <laughs> not a most excellent. Oh, no. Yes. Now, of course, everyone else is still quite confused. Because some people didn't know about the conspiracy, and some people had heard Melee's calling out for help. They don't really know how to feel about this. And so, there's a fair amount of chaos in the streets. So, Cincinnatus orders an assembly. To this assembly, he explains that Melius, yes, has been killed. Technically, had not been put on trial, and therefore, I guess, was innocent. And Cincinnatus had been prepared to listen to what he had to say, and, you know give a fair judgment, make a reasoned decision. However, that just hadn't been what happened. You know, chips fall where they do. It's unfortunate, but uh, he's dead. Exactly. Malius, of course, had been well aware that Rome wasn't keen on kings and that they had historically not liked people who tried to bring it back. Refer to Spurius Cassius of the 480s and the Decemvirs of more recent memory. We don't like them. But at least those people had some sort of real achievement. You know, they had some nobility about them. Who was Malleus? He was nothing. (laughs) The best that he could have ever dreamed of was to be a plebeian tribute. And that's not saying very much because we know how Cincinnati feels about them. Malleus had been so craven that he had imagined that he could buy the Romans with some corn, please. And so I think you can see where Cincinnatus is going with this. We can see his patrician yeah, bias yeah. coming out here. Do the people buy it? Uh, well, you know, it's not so much whether they they buy it, but Cincinnatus decides that, you know what, actually after hearing myself talk... <laughs> now that I reflect upon it. Yeah, uh, I actually don't think that killing him on the spot without a trial is enough. And so they decide that they're going to completely tear his house to the ground because it was the place where his evil plan and insanity had been conceived and that his property should be confiscated as he had tried to buy Rome with it. Wow. And so the quaestors are ordered by Cincinnatus to collect all this stuff and the money is going to go into the public treasury. And that is where 439 finishes up for Livy. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. All right. What a tale. I've missed Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, he's back in town. And oh, yeah. Boy, things are spicy again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't take him long. Yeah, so I've got some various accounts, both of which are predominantly quite different. So we've got Manukius going to the Senate. Uh-huh. That's kind of like the last sort of moment that I think I gave you on yes. this account. And he informs them with his informant, being like, look, I've got the proof. That Malleus is up to no good. Mm. And then the crisis that happens with Dionysius of Halicarnassus in this moment is that his speech is missing. (gasps) Oh, no! (laughs) I never would have guessed. I know. Sneaky Hamburglar sneaking in. (laughs) The source cuts out. Yeah. The speech is missing. And the source cuts back in again. And action is happening. Right, okay. <laughs> so you're like, okay, so Manukius gave a big speech mm-hmm. and we don't hear the details of it. But nevertheless, what we know is that the Senate decides that they must choose a dictator. Right. And they must appoint a master of the horse. Right. 
and that's fine. And Dionysus of Halicarnassus, it seems, and we can only guess because we've only got like bits and pieces here and there. We're not getting the whole source at this point. Sure. It seems like he holds back on telling us who the dictator is oh. and who the master of the horse is. What? Yeah, he reveals the names later into the narrative. Oh, There's just like a suspense building moment right. for him. <laughs> what a master storyteller. He should write for Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> he should. And one of the things that gets decided in this meeting, because it appears that Cincinnatus is in the city, they that there doesn't seem to be any travel narrative and going out to the farm or anything. That's true. The farming thing was just my embellishment. <laughs> he, does, he does seem to be around, and so they find him quite quickly. Well, and he is 80, so yeah. maybe he's tired. <laughs> well, yeah. you can only walk or something. They're like, yeah. he's over there. Pick him up and take him back <laughs> Quick, to the Senate House. Quick, he's getting away. <laughs> <laughs> Chase that old man. Uh, bring him back to the Senate House. And what they do is they decide that they need to secure the capital. Mm-hmm. And fundamentally, the capital is this hill in the center of Rome and is considered important from a defensive perspective. Mm -hmm. And in these really early accounts, uh, certainly later writers suggest that there is a citadel, some sort of defensive structure on the top of it Mm. that seems to maybe predate the temples and things like that or sits alongside them. Because you have the story of Tarpeia, who goes in very early on under the kings and tries to convince Titus Tatius to do some stuff. And anyway, she compromises the whole capital fortress. Yes. So they decide that they need to hold this defensive structure quite secretly. Right. So in the middle of the night, their first plan is to secretly move over to the capital mm. and stake it out and get their position ready. Because they what they don't want is they don't want Malleus to find out that they've put in a dictator. Right. Okay. They want him to continue to behave as normal. Right. So the sun rises over the Roman forum and Malleus wanders in with his chums, the populace. He's tossing grain here. He's tossing grain there. <laughs> People are grabbing it out of the air. It looks like gold. You know? <laughs> and he sits down on the magisterial chair mm-hmm. of Manuchius which the people have given to him. Mm. And he starts to conduct his daily business being like, all right, I'm the prefect of the grain. What you want? <laughs> They're like, more grain. He's like, I chuck another handful. People can scramble. Do, can do. Yeah. <laughs> People are loving it. And it's at that point that the master of the horse, name not yet revealed, turns up at the forum. And says, ahala. <laughs> <laughs> ahala. <laughs> um, turns up with the flower of the Roman knights. So okay. this might be code for the hot say, young is it, patricians. Is it really the young patricians? Are the Ferraris around? <laughs> but what's really interesting is that Dionysius tells us that these men are carrying swords under their clothing. Look, I would expect nothing less except maybe switchblades because that's more in keeping with the young patricians. <laughs> maybe. But to me, it's like this moment that's quite... I, I was like, wait a minute. We're inside the pomerium at this point. No, you're right. The forum... <laughs> And just because there is a dictator in power doesn't mean you get to to carry a sword inside the pomerium. And so I went and checked the the actual Greek, being like, is this like somebody doing a bit of a dirty on the translation? Yeah. But it's definitely the Greek word for sword. Wow. So they do have swords inside the pomerium. And traditionally, the dictator gets to have 24 lictors. Sure. Double. And the thing that gets to distinguish him from other magistrates is he gets to have the axes inside the bundle of rods. So 24 axe heads on display inside the pomerium. Lots of threat. Lots of threat. Yeah, yeah. Lots of threat. 
But swords is a different thing altogether. And and not being carried, you know, it is just a threat. You it know, is. You and know, it's supposed to be open. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So swords hidden underneath your clothing is like, what is going on here? Yeah, and also tricky, given that they don't have zippers or anything. <laughs> you tie it on with a little piece of string oh. to your, like, your under tunic, and then it slices off your what's it, and yeah. you're like, oh boy! I'm just imagining, like, again, going back to the time where you and I wore something akin to Roman clothing, I'm just like... Where would you put it? It's between the butt cheeks. The blade would be balanced there. Yeah. Secretly in between some folds, but definitely not near the skin. Um, Hey, Marcus, you look like you're constipated. (laughs) Just walking very carefully with this blade between my butt cheeks. Don't get me started. It's just some hemorrhoids. And so we've got this situation which is highly unusual. Yeah. And I want to hold on to it because I think it's going to become relevant to my interpretation of what might be going on here later. Okay, okay. So, hold that one. Okay. Malius has a pretty reasonable question when he sees these dudes turn up because it's pretty clear that something's not quite right. Sure. And... Servilius has now revealed himself. He's like, aha! A la la! (laughs) And and Malius is like, "Uh, can I help you? Yeah. And he's like, I'm the master of the horse! (laughs) And Malius is like, since when do we have a dictator? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which is a reasonable question, Terribly. given the scenario. Yeah. And it's like, since last night, ha <laughs> <laughs> And they're like, you've got to come with us. And it's like, you know, Servilius gives this speech, or Dionysius gives it to him, and it's basically like, look, you've been accused of certain things, including, you know, aspiring to revolution, aspiring to kingship. You're going to have to come and answer to the dictator. We're going to have a chat about that. Yeah. You need to quick it over to the capital where everybody's hanging out for that chat. Yes. So it makes it seem like this is a very civilized sort of, well, you know, I'm just here doing the execution of the master of the horse job and you're just the guy who's been accused of, like, trying to become a king. So, yeah. you know, if you come with us, we'll figure that out. Sure. And Malius is like, oh, 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 oh no. <laughs> I'm not going down there. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> and so he's like, he turns to the people and he's like, help me. These people do not want to talk to me. They want to kill me. Before he did that, you neglected to mention that he grabbed some pastries and put them up to his ears. And he was like, help me. You're my only hope. <laughs> Stuffing grain. Throwing yeah. grain everywhere. You know? He's like, I need your help. It's not a trial. I'm being summoned to death. Yeah. And while this is happening... This sort of creates a sort of stir amongst the people and there's the confusion and stuff. Yeah. And it seems pretty clear that Malius is going to get arrested. Like, you know, the the men with the swords are sort of closing in. I was kind of figuring that that's what was happening. Yeah, I mean, the plebeians aren't armed. You're not supposed to be armed. No. You know, so they're kind of like, swords? I don't know. And so there's there's this sense in which the people want to help, but they also don't want to get involved because they're like, "Mm, blades, not great for me. (laughs) I don't have one of those. Yeah, (laughs) I'm not ready for that. Yeah. And so he kind of runs away. Mm. And so then he gets chased. Right. And then he runs up to a butcher's stall. Oh, God. Not another butcher's stall. <laughs> I know. We've, we've had this kind of moment before. Such a safety hazard. <laughs> I, they, he grabs a cleaver. Ah. Ah. <laughs> Leave it to cleaver. <laughs> and also, like, you know, you've got to defend yourself. All of a sudden, the, all of these men with swords are coming after you. Sure. So he then, you know, starts swinging wildly with his cleaver. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he actually hacks off somebody's arm. Yeah. Terrible. Right. Oh, sorry. Sorry. 
So just stuck in the visual and I totally missed that for the first couple of seconds. Yeah, so him, like people are coming at him with swords and yeah. he hacks off one of their arms. Right. This opens up the license for violence. Right, yes. Provocation. Provocation, yeah. yeah. And they proceed to hack him to pieces. Wow, okay. Yeah, they dismember him in the forum at the site of the butcher stand. And then they put his body on display, all the pieces of it. Yeah. And they put it somewhere prominent in the forum. And then they go back to Cincinnatus. This is sounding almost medieval in the way that, like, displaying body parts of dismembered traders. Yeah. Which we have mentioned right here. The reason why we said the butcher thing is because that's how Lucretia's dad, no, sorry, Virginia's dad, managed to kill her. Yeah, he in grabbed a, place. a big butcher's knife. Yeah. yeah. There's no, not meant to be any weapons in that place, and that's how he managed to do it. Yeah. 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 The butcher's stand becomes very convenient when you can't have weapons in the forum, exactly. as it turns out, because there's clearly, you can't have blades for practical use and yeah. the tools you need to do your trade. Yeah. So they, they make a clear distinction between weapons and the practical things. I love this because I'm picturing right now if this was like an Ocean's Eleven type film in Rome in any setting, they're like, but how do we get weapons inside the Miriam? Simple. The butcher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then this is where everyone goes, you're right. The loophole that we needed. Now the plan is complete. (laughs) (laughs) And so this has a real sort of flow on effect because Servilius goes back to the Senate and Cincinnatus and he has to explain his actions and he, he does try to defend himself and he's like, look, you know, he pulled a cleaver on us. Yeah. <laughs> he hacked one of the man's arms off. Flower of the youth, you know. <laughs> we dismembered him. Yeah. You know? As if that doesn't take a lot of time and effort. Um, yeah. And Ugh. probably more of the butcher's equipment. Yeah. And the other thing that's going on at the same time is there's this groundswell in support of Malleus coming from the plebeians. Sure. Some of those voices are really vocal. Cincinnatus stays in power as dictator to make sure that those people are quietly slaughtered. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Scandal. Yes, he puts these men to death secretly and then resigns. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, that's how Cincinnati gets things done. Yeah, but wait for it. Uh-huh. And this, this is where things, I think, get really interesting because then Dionysius tells us that this is the account that he thinks is credible, mm-hmm. but there are other accounts told by other historians, which he thinks should not be believed. Okay. And they're told to us by uh, Cincius Uh and Calpurnius. Never heard of them. (laughs) Well, but they're both historians and they're both closer to the action than Dionysius. Oh, yeah, I have no doubt. So this is Lucius Cincius Alimentus, Mm -hmm. who is a Roman senator and historian from the early, no, the late 3rd century BCE. Mm-hmm. So he's a praetor in 210 BCE. So we might see him come up later. Yeah. And he also seems to have some chats with Hannibal at certain times. Mm. And then we've also got Lucius Calpurnius Piso Frugi. Oh, I've heard of him. Yeah. yeah. Um, who is tribune of the plebs in 149 BCE, consul in 133, mm. which will stand out as a date of significance to other listeners, I am sure, Indeed. and is an opponent, infamously, of Gaius Gracchus. Yeah. Definitely connected to the Gracchi there. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he writes a seven-book analytic history. Mm. 
And both of these historians give a different version of events. Okay. Which I think, I'm going to spoiler alert, I think is more believable. Really? Yeah. So I'm kind of really digging the version you were telling so far. But I think the version that we've just been told is a patrician cover-up for... An assassination. Well, explaining the misuse of power. Yeah. Because there are weapons in the forum. Yeah. I don't think a dictator can really do that. Mm. It doesn't seem right. It's a it's a misuse. Oh, look, even in Livy's account, which now seems ridiculously sugar-coated, I mean, I always feel like I could read this to a three-year-old that's so sugar-coated, but... There's no dismembering! <laughs> yeah, exactly. However, I think you can definitely see that there were questions being asked about how things were taken care of. Yeah. And that's why Cincinnatus felt the need to call that assembly because it didn't happen the way it's supposed to. Yeah. 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 There are some real issues with what happens in this year, it yeah. would seem. And so one of these things is that we've got this idea that Manukius is informing on Malius. Mm. And in that meeting, the Senate gets so stirred up about this possibility of the kingship question that they come to a decision to actually put him to death without a trial. Mm. That's the decision that they make. Wow. Now, this is the alternative narrative, which you know seems more and more plausible the more I think about it. Sure. So they look for somebody to appoint to this task. Mm-hmm. And Servilius is the kind of slightly crazed in the eye, <laughs> nebulous young man yes. who says that he'll do it. Right. Yeah. Okay. He's one of these young patrician types. Yeah. And so... He takes his dagger Mm -hmm. and he hides it under his cloak. Mm -hmm. He approaches Malleus in the forum, goes up to him while he's holding court on that ministerial chair that he's not supposed to be on and says, can we have a word man to man for a moment? I need a, you know, we need a bit of a private chat. You can say he stabbed him right there. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Okay. We need a bit of a private chat. Can you give us some space? Yeah. Malleus is like, sees that he's serious, knows that he's a patrician. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, sure, bud. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, clear some space. And we need to have a private chat. Melius is still a rich guy. Melius is still a rich guy. Yeah. yeah. He's still got connections. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he can see that it's serious, and he, he gives the space. Yeah. And Servilius pulls out the dagger and stabs him straight into the jugular. Goes straight for the throat. Wow. Melius bleeds out in front of everybody. Jeez. Servius, Servilius has to run away. This is why he's got blood all over him. How do you get blood all over you? Somebody bleeds out in three minutes and you're there holding the dagger that does yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You stabbed him in the throat. You stabbed him oh in the throat. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. This is in crazy. the throat. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 yeah. He runs back to the Senate house and people pursue him. So he has to get out of there quickly. Like this is like he's one man. Yeah. And he's just and he's trying to run in a turgo. <laughs> and he's just <laughs> stabbed the guy that everybody's on the side of in the forum right in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. He's the key to grain, man. <laughs> Where are they going to get their nachos now? <laughs> I was looking forward to the guacamole. <laughs> you said they'd bring in avocados. <laughs> that was next on the list. Um, and so he runs into the Senate house with people pursuing him. And he says, he screams out that he's destroyed the tyrant um, at the command of the Senate. So he's trying to like, you know. Put it back to, on them. Yeah. Trying to like, yeah. you know. Yeah, and also to, like, you know, keep those people back as yeah, well. You know, yeah, like, definitely. I did it and on the orders of yeah, the Senate. Yeah. That's why I did it. I was only following orders. Yeah, How yeah. many times have we heard that one? <laughs> yeah. And so this whole problem is a thing where... <laughs> 
for some reason, Dionysius decides to go into a, a slight digression where he explains the cognomen Ala. Ahala. <laughs> we already know what it should, is. Doesn't, you doesn't, see him. Ahala. Ahala. <laughs> yeah. uh, which yeah. doesn't really work very well in Greek, apparently. Right. But apparently it's because he was hiding the dagger in his armpit. Right. And this is what the Romans called the armpit, the Ala. Aha. 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 And so we get these other accounts then from other sources which suggest that Servilius has to be exiled. Mm. So in order for this to work and in order for, you know, the Senate to be able to continue to suggest that it's got some legitimacy. Yes. um, They've got to get rid of him. The fall guy. The patsy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it strikes me that we've got this moment where, because neither of these stories make heaps of sense, but I think this second one might make more sense, that there is actually a misuse and abuse of patrician power in this moment. Yeah. They get wound up about this guy. And Cincinnatus is a nice story yeah. for them to be able to say, well, it was all legitimate and it was un- all done under a dictator and it was all fine. But you've got this other counter narrative which suggests that there wasn't a dictator. It was just a decision made in the Senate that they just execute this guy without a trial. And they asked for a volunteer and Servilius was the crazy guy who said he'd do it. And presumably there was some sort of reward for him in it, but he was going to have to go into exile afterwards. And that's how they were going to dust their hands of it. And just have it done. Wow. Which sounds to me more like the kind of patrician Senate power plays that we're used to seeing, just going that one step further, which is a step too far. So sinister. <laughs> My God. I mean, look, part of me is loath to give up the idea of Cincinnatus being a part of this because then he can't say the lethal weapon line. But I do see where you're coming from. <laughs> it seems like there's, there is something going on in this year. And clearly Malleus doesn't come out alive. No. He's ended up dead. Yeah. How do we explain it? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you've got the dictatorship as this point of legitimacy, yeah. but you've still got the issue of, at least in Dionysius, this use of swords. Oh, look, I think, and as which I say, in I my account too. Which to me is like, yeah. I, I, I Some, look, the plan... my, my mind is not comfortable with that tension. And I'm like, ooh, I feel like there's more that I want to investigate there. And I'm not a specialist in early Roman Republican history. No, me neither. And yet, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, what's I think, happening? I think we've got a bit of a feel for the type of characters that we're dealing with and the kind of situation <laughs> that has arisen. And we can definitely see that there is still a lot of unhappiness about a lot of the things that were restored in the wake of the 2nd December, even 10 years on. They're not over it. Oh, okay. no. Yeah. <laughs> By no means. <laughs> no, and they never will be, to be honest. So there's all of that going on. But yeah, I can totally see where you're coming from with that whole thing. On top of which, I feel like even saying that what Melius had done in Livy's account, you know, giving out the grain for free, that this was a really terrible precedent. I feel like that is coming from his own time. I mean, at this moment in time, people are starving. You've got to get them grain. Manukius ain't cutting it. No. So, yeah. I mean, I get where he's coming from in terms of I'm generally not a huge fan of private people stepping in where a government should be. But this is not the kind of This is of a life and death situation. And yeah. Some, he's doing something. Yeah. And, and also, the government isn't. 
this isn't the kind of government that I would probably want in charge anyway. <laughs> so yeah, where yeah. are my women's rights? Yeah, exactly. Anywho, wow. Okay, well, whew, what a roller coaster. I think it's time <laughs> for the partial pick. <laughs> Your impression of ego gets better every time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> All right, Doctor G. So whew, I have no idea where we're going to end up for these two years. Let's see how we go. Well, okay. So we've got. Five categories. Yes. Each should be scored out of 10 gold eagles. Yep. For a possible maximum of 50 gold eagles. Indeed. All right. The first category, military clout. No. <laughs> <laughs> but there was at least swords mentioned. There were swords, but not in a military capacity, as far as I'm concerned. All right. Big fat zero. Okay. Uh, diplomacy. Still think no. Thin on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Very thin on the ground. You know, the, the stabbing and the jugular. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, regardless of, you know, dismembered and put on display. Yeah. Stabbed in the jugular and bleeding out in front of everybody. Like, it's not the most diplomatic thing I've ever seen. So <laughs> I'm going to say zero. <laughs> Even from Roman standards, yeah. that's a zero. Exactly. <laughs> Expansion. No. Hard no. No. Weirdus. Or it's Ooh. tough. Because, you know, if the Romans are going with it, if they sincerely decide that Cincinnatus is the narrative for yep. this, that man just carries weird to us with him everywhere. Yep. So there always would have to be at least one point on the table. I think just because he's been mentioned. Yeah, he's still alive. I was going to say, yeah, I feel like as much as we might be super suspicious of what's gone down here, that people like... Cincinnatus, and even Ahala could be said to be acting with Weirdfuss in this situation, depending on the version that depending, you Yeah, depending yeah. on who you read. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I'm, I'm willing to say maybe like a two? Ooh. Yeah, one for each man, depending yeah. on whether you're taking a patrician reading. Yeah, well, this is the thing. I'm highly suspicious of their motives, etc. So, mm. and even... Even by Roman standards, I, again, with using that term very loosely here in the sense that I feel like the majority of Romans would not have been pleased by what just went down. That once again, this is an act that's servicing a patrician minority and their grasp on power. And so it's witness for them. But the way that they're painting it as being like about liberty... Mm. Not so sure. I really don't think so. I mean, if we You're think... You're free to die of starvation under our leadership. <laughs> exactly, yeah. If we think back to, okay, the Decembers, mm, it's a little hard to tell because there's, you know, 10 of them one year, 10 of them in another year, some of them are thought to be fictional, whatever. It's a bit hard to talk about them. But Spurius Cassius, this other person who's mentioned as being someone who dared to aspire to the kingship in the 480s and was therefore cut down... We also, if you might remember, thought he was actually kind of a good guy trying to do the right thing. And he was just considered to be almost like a class traitor. And that's where he went wrong. So, yeah. <laughs> we'll give him two. Yeah. <laughs> in short, in summation, two for Weirtus. Exactly. Lots of asterisks and question marks <laughs> remain. And finally, the citizen score. Was this a great time to be a citizen of Rome? Was it ever? On some level, yes. All of a sudden, you didn't have to pay for grain and you weren't starving anymore. True. On the other hand, a lot of you had starved. And threw yourself into the tiber. Yes. And then the guy who's giving you the free grain got murdered. In front of you. In and you front had to of you. see it. And you 
didn't understand what was going on. Now you're traumatized. Yeah. There's not enough therapy in ancient Rome for this. And there's a huge JFK conspiracy cover-up following this whole thing. So I have no idea where to stand on this. Yeah, like this, like, you know, outside tale of having to hold the capital. For what? Yeah. <laughs> Look, maybe a three. And that's being probably generous. I honestly have no idea how to rate this. I'm happy to give them five. Okay. Because you think about it, like, on the one hand... Starvation. Or starvation and and the trauma of watching somebody that you thought was doing a good job for you get murdered in front of you. On the other hand, a couple of years where life was tough but grain was coming into the city and somebody was taking care of it. And you felt like, actually, there was this glimmer of possibility where the people could do the politics. Mm. Like, they shoved Manuchius out of that chair. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeller. And they put Malius in there and they're like, you're the man for us. And it's as good as if we voted you in because that's what we're going to say we did. But then that glimmer of hope was snuffed out <laughs> by an assassin's blade. I feel like it has to be a four. Just because because of the assassination. Hardline negotiations. <laughs> you convinced me. You convinced me that Malius was assassinated in his sinister film master plot. Worthy of the Godfather. I think Francis so. Francis Coppola. What are you doing? Imagine yeah. Coppola bringing back the Roman epic. Yeah. All right. Four it is. Okay, thank you. Okay. So that means, Dr. G, that we have wound up with a grand total of six golden <laughs> eagles, which still feels like way too many. It is a terrible time for Rome to be Rome. Yeah. Anyway, join us next time for what will undoubtedly be a very messy mopping up operation. <laughs> There's still blood in the forum. <laughs> oh, God. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Partial Historians. We would like to send a special thank you out to all of our Patreons who support the show and also a big welcome to our newest Patreons, Mickeyus, Porkyus and Virginia. Stay away from those butcher stands, Virginia. You too can support our show and help us to produce more engaging content about the ancient world by becoming a Patreon. In return, you receive exclusive early access to our special episodes and occasionally some bonus content just for you. There are, however, other ways that you can support our show. You can spread the word by buying and wearing some of our merch or support our collaboration with the talented Bridget Clark, who's been helping us to produce some artwork on Gumroad. However, if this is not within your means, then please give us five-star reviews or spread the word any way that you can. You have no idea how much that boosts our morale and keeps us going as well. Until next time, we are yours in ancient Rome.